Hello, thank you for listening to this sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allow you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you have your Bibles and you're willing to turn with me, would you turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14. Today we'll finish off chapter 14 and head to chapter 15. Last week we began a two-part series microcosm of this bigger study through Romans, we uh, started talking about gray issues, gray issues, and, um, I shared a little example, and then it's funny how you uh, use illustrations, and then God allows you other opportunities to live that out, um, I shared about driving, and how I like to uh, tell people how to drive, and what to do, and we were just driving on uh, Saturday, or on Friday, and uh, of all the things that I got to drive behind, there was this beautiful red Porsche. And, uh, you know, you think, okay, this is a nice Porsche. This is a nice car. Well, we were just coming off of the uh, exit ramp or entrance ramp. And we got behind this. And I see in my rearview mirror two semis. There's two lanes and two semis that are bearing down on me. And I see this Porsche and I'm like, okay, this is going to be interesting because the driver of this Porsche decided to go not 65, which I could understand. The speed limit was actually 70. If you want to go 65, that's fine, but they weren't going 65. They weren't going 60. They weren't going 55. They were going 52. And as I'm telling them what to do, I'm reminded again of last week, and I'm like, oh, will I ever learn? That's the beauty of coming back to God's word, isn't it? Where we get to come back and we're reminded of God's truth. And we're, we're reminded uh, that, uh, that God is gracious and he's merciful. Because if he showed me everything <laughs> the first time I read it, it would be quite overwhelming, would it not? But he shows me little bit by little bit by little bit. And that's the beauty of his alive and active word of God, that it is constantly working in us, and God is using his word to pierce our hearts and our minds. Last week, we talked about how grace demands that I start with acceptance and again, if you're joining in this week, you need to probably go back and listen to last week um, just so that you don't misunderstand. And I said this last week and I'll say it again. Please do not misunderstand me when I say acceptance. Um, I shared a quote and I'll share it again here. Chuck Swindoll says it well. He says, acceptance does not require that truth be set aside or sin is to be ignored. What is sin is sin. You don't get to define what sin is. Do you know that? How do you know what is right and what is wrong? Part of it's hopefully your parents taught you. And boy, did my brothers and I, we learned quickly. Some ways and other ways we didn't. But dad taught us and mom and dad also had us in church where we were learning what God told us is right and what is wrong. What is truth is not defined by you or me. It's not defined by our culture. It's not defined even by a past church that you went to. Truth, what is true and what is not, what is sin is defined by God's word. I can tell some of you are so focused or asleep. I can't tell which one yet. But you are allowed to respond this morning, okay? All right? This is what defines truth. And so when we talk about accepting, grace demands that I do accept my brother. It does not mean that I agree with him but it does leave a lot of room for different preferences. Because you have a lot of preferences. 
I have preferences, right? You wore what you wore today probably because that's what you prefer. As you traveled here in your vehicle, you probably listened to music that you prefer, unless you were riding with children or with a spouse that wanted to listen to something different. (laughs) It's interesting as we think about grace and how it demands that we start with acceptance. This idea isn't new for the church. In fact, Jesus, this is what he prayed in John 17. Christ prayed for our unity. He didn't pray for uniformity, but he prayed for our unity. I also, our second point last week, this is just on review in case you forgot, um, that I live for the audience of one. Again, remember I made this personal because I didn't want you to think that I followed you around all week and I was talking to you. I want you to make it personal. I live for an audience of one. And we looked at verse 5 of chapter 14 where it says that each one should be fully convinced in their own mind. That convincing comes as we study God's word and we allow the spirit of God to work in us to challenge our thinking to challenge our preferences and each one should distinguish between matters that are essential and matters that are not essential. There are absolute truths. Do you agree with that? Are you thankful for those absolute truths? There are wonderful and challenging and difficult absolute truths. For example, how do we have free will and yet God is sovereign and control over all things? Those are wonderful absolute truths. I don't think you can, nor should you, cut away either one of those. But they both are absolute truth. God is Sovereign in control of all things. Amen? God does give us choice. You chose to show up this morning. Amen? Because during COVID, I didn't like preaching to a camera. That's really hard. I'm glad you're here today. That's rough, man. Get up and speak to people, but there ain't no people. But as we live life, we think about these essential and non-essential truths, absolute truth, and we are prone to take non-essential truths and start to allow them to be essential and to force them on others. And I always go back, where in the Bible does it say that? It may not be specific, but where do you get the principles for how you are living or why you're doing what you're doing? The principles should come from the word of God. And say, well, I can go to movie theaters. Again, I... We live in a different day today, but Lisa shared a story of how she got in trouble. I can only share this because she never gets in trouble. So the one time she got in trouble back at Skyview and she went to the movie theater when she wasn't supposed to go to the movie theater because she had signed a little waiver that said that they wouldn't go to the movie theater um, back in that day. You know, her director showed her grace and allowed her. But during that week, she had to work through that. And she disobeyed what she had agreed to. You may say, okay, there's nothing wrong with movie theaters. Or you may say, hey, there's something really bad about movie theaters. Who's right and who's wrong? Well, the principles are still there, whether you're in a movie theater or you're not. There's a principle that says, I will set no unwholesome thing before my eyes. Shouldn't that take root in a movie theater? 
Shouldn't it take root at home too? So when we look at this, we are reminded about how we live for the audience of one. We're not trying to please other people. We're not trying to make other people live what God has convinced me that I need to live in obedience to him. Number three was, I'm not the judge. And we saw that at verse 10 and how each one of us will show up and we will be standing and fall before the true judge, Jesus Christ. And that's where we pick up today um, in, in uh, verse 13 here of Romans 13. And Paul's going to remind us, since we cannot pass judgment... It's a reminder, again, of what we finished last week about is you're not all wise. You're not all knowing. You can't see everything. You don't know a person's motive. You can't get inside their head or their heart. All right. And ultimately, you don't know what's best for that person. So how can you be the judge? You can't restore them. You can condemn them, but you can't restore them back. Only Jesus, the true judge, can restore a person back, not you and I. So we don't have the qualifications to be the judge. So let's continue. And if you would, would you stand with me? We'll read Romans 14. You can follow along in your text if you would there. It's also up on the screen behind me. Romans chapter 14, we'll start in verse 13. And we'll read through chapter 15 and verse 7. All right. In this, uh, this sample of text here. Verse 13, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. And not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Would you pray with me, Lord? Thanks for your word. Do your work in us as we've prayed. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. As we look at this text, it's, uh, in some ways, it's not real rocket science, all right? 
And, uh, and so I want to quickly walk through this. And then I, I think there are three overarching themes that we can take with us. I'd love to have another two weeks to walk through some more pointed parts of this. I'm just going to give you the overview, okay? Because I think there's some, uh, some points that we could really get in the weeds. And I would love to do that. Um, I just don't have time to do that this morning. All right? Some of you are exhaling and saying thank you. Um, as we look at this, he says, verse 13, therefore, what's the therefore? Well, because of what he has said before, we're, whether you're the weak or whether you're the strong, you're not the judge. And so since we are not to be passing judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so here we have this decision, right? We have a decision. We have a choice to be able to make whether we um, live life in such a way that we will, will, will use our faith, as Paul says here, as a hindrance, or he says it in this way, a stumbling block. Um, it is interesting being a runner. I, I, I love running. But one of the things that as I get older, I always have to be careful is about falling. Um, and I never worried about that before. And one of the reasons why I didn't run hurdles was because I didn't want a stumbling block. I didn't need anything else. I just needed my own two feet um, not to trip up on something else. When we think about this, we often live life in such a way we're not even concerned or oftentimes we're not even thinking about putting something in someone else's way. Now, there are times that we definitely do think about it and we disregard it. But I want to be honest, there are times when we're living in the freedom of God that, that we don't realize that we are setting that stumbling block, that, that tripping hazard that's going to cause somebody in their faith to stumble and fall. With that, I think we need to be careful. Again, some of you live in a very black and white world. Not everything is black and white. Amen? That was half of you. That's the half that says, yes, I see that there is gray. That there are some issues that are gray. Whether you want to accept it or not. Paul's helping us to walk through, and his illustration here is about meat. We talked a little bit about it last week. Meat that was offered to idols, all right? There was a portion of meat that was cut. It was offered to idol. It was sacrificed there. There was another portion of that same animal that was taken to the butcher shop and was sold. And these new believers, some of them were so outraged they could not eat that meat. Their faith did not allow them to be able to eat of that food that they saw as being offered to a pagan false god. It was like they were, they were cheating on their faith if they ate that. Now Paul, several times, and he even tells us here in the passage, we're going to look at it two different times, where he reminds us that what he thinks is true. Don't you like that? Wow. One of the worst conversations that I had with my mom growing up was when she said, Aaron, I know you are right, but as a kid, you just want that. That means that you are right and that everything else doesn't matter, right? Well, in some ways, that's what Paul's addressing here in this section. All right, as we look at our lives May you decide never to put something in front of somebody that will cause them to stumble in their faith, in their walk. This is where it gets a little hairy, and this is where I wish I had weeks to come, because what's a stumbling block and what is just a preference that people need to get over? Yes, that's hard. And there's a lot of things that people just need to get over because that's your preference. It's not really a stumbling block. It's not really causing you to sin if somebody is doing that. 
This is very real when Paul uses these illustrations, especially of eating this meat, that people felt in their very soul, if they ate that meat, they were sinning against God. So don't come and tell me about an illustration of what you want as a preference when it isn't even making you sin, it's just what you have chosen to do and how you want to honor God. Did you notice I didn't give you an illustration, right? You were ready for that, and I was about ready to give it, and I thought, nah, because I don't want you to get hung up on that. There's a lot of things, and I listed a few of them last week. There could be a lot of things that I list that could be these things that could be just preferences or they could be about your faith walk. Paul lists two of them here. One is eating meat. And he says, don't decide, rather, don't ever throw out a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And so if you know a brother or a sister who would struggle in their faith if you did something with them or you invited them or you took them or you placed before them something, don't ever do that. Don't ever make them feel like they have to do that in order to be your friend, in order to be accepted by you. Paul says in verse 14, I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. <laughs> here's, here's Paul's disclaimer. He gives it here once and then he'll say it again later. Hey, listen, I just want you to know, I'm convinced you can eat whatever you want. It's not about whether you can eat it, whether it's clean or unclean. I am convinced before God that it is clean. You can eat it. But there's a key word there, and it's but, right? He gives his hearers this instruction. It's almost like this little side comment. Hey, I'm convinced before God, this is not an issue. But he says here, it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Not everybody sees it as, as I see it, Paul says. It says. So he goes on, he says, verse 15, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. Which is interesting because this idea of love runs all throughout the New Testament. When you look at 1 Corinthians 13, we see this chapter of love and description of what love is and what love is not. It's, it's in the midst, the context of what defining love looks like is using spiritual gifts. Chapter 12 and chapter 14 is all about using the gifts that God has given us inside of the church. And so Paul puts this section not to be used only at weddings. It's not talking about the marriage, matrimony, but he's using it in the context of the church and how we view and how we are to care for one another as we're using these gifts he's given us. And so this idea that love, you can have all these things, but if you have not love, it's worthless. Faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And then we see over in Colossians 4, verse 14, which we walked through as a staff and council. We took away our, our leadership this weekend. I'm so grateful for each of them and for their willingness to sacrifice their time as we got away and prayed for our church and prayed for direction and lead, God's leading. We walked through this passage of of Colossians chapter 4, and, and Paul wraps up how we're to be putting on these different characteristics of Christ. And then he says this at the end of that list, all of it is wrapped up in love. 
It's like, okay, you have all these things, but this overarching thing that's going to be taken and, and you need to just surround yourself with it is what? Love. And then we see this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Paul again addresses this, this idea of how, how are we living as brothers and sisters? This is it, love. Now our world has a demented way of defining love. There is one and his name, he is love. So how you define love, you have to look and know who God is in order to define it. Paul is writing here for us in this section, and he says, if, you, if, if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you, you are destroying him. You no longer are walking in love. The reason and the motivation for why we're living life is to A, love God, and B, love others. Have you heard that before? Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he summed it up in this way, love God and love others. But by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. A couple things. I just want you to insert in there. Whenever you get to a point where you're wrestling through a gray issue, instead of the word eat, I want you to put that thing there. And then I want you to look at what Paul says here and look at it closely. Remind yourself, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. Do you know that Christ died not just for you? (laughs) We live in a self-absorbed, a self-focused world. And Paul is helping remind these readers in Rome, these early Christian followers, as they're trying to learn what it means to follow Jesus and to come together as the church, the body of Christ. He's trying to remind them and say, listen, life isn't just about your pleasure. Life isn't just about what you think. Life isn't just about you. Because Christ, he died for that other individual. He died for them. Just as he died for you. But we like to make pedestals, right? I always find it interesting when I talk to people about Christ that uh, they never, when I ask them to, to, to compare themselves to the rest of the world, they never compare themselves to, to good people. They always compare themselves to evil and bad. We're prone to do that, right? We're prone to do that as kids. When we're called on the carpet, yeah, I did that, but it's not as bad as... We always try to make ourselves just a little bit better. And Paul, he's already said it. He is the stronger brother. He's going to show us in verse 1 of chapter 15 as well. He's the stronger, but he's saying, listen, that just because I'm stronger doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me have more privilege. No, Christ died for my brother and my sister just like Christ died for me. And how am I loving them? Because God loves them. Just as much as God loves me. Verse 16. So, because of this, so do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Again, we've been given freedom, and we've been given an opportunity to live life in freedom. But we must be fully convinced in our own mind what pleases God as we search the scriptures, as God's spirit works inside of me and you. 
Let us not view that other person and what they see, if it's not in the biblical text, don't speak evil of it. Don't speak evil of them. No, there is a reminder here of what to be focused on. And that reminder is very loud. He says the kingdom of God, verse 17, is not a matter of eating and drinking. Which takes me back to Solomon. And when Solomon is viewing, he, Solomon had wisdom beyond any of us and beyond any of us that we would be able to understand. Sometimes I'm really thankful for that. In other days, I could just use a little bit more, Lord, right? A little bit more knowledge, a little bit more wisdom. But Solomon, here was this guy who God granted him wisdom that no one else, no other man, sinful man, has ever experienced. And Solomon, in all of his pursuits, he was a wise man. In all of his pursuits, what did he come? What was his conclusion? It's all vain. All of it. I'm seeking pleasure. I'm working hard. And yet nothing satisfies me. There is a yearning. I believe there is a yearning inside of every one of us. Because we're made it in the image of God, there is a yearning for us to know and to experience the kingdom of God. In that, Paul helps remind us that the kingdom is not just about eating and drinking. While Solomon says, listen, life is short, so eat, drink, and be merry. He says, ultimately, fear God and obey him. That's what he says at the end. Obey what God has told us. Fear him, understand who God is, and that we will stand before him one day. The kingdom of God isn't about your little gray issue. Whether you have the right to do it or not to do it. The kingdom of God is about something greater. And look how he describes it here. The kingdom of God is of righteousness. Sometimes in our pursuit of righteousness, we get mixed up in this gray issue. When Paul is writing this, he's not saying that those who did not eat meat were wrong. He was fully convinced in his own mind that it was okay to eat. It wasn't a matter of righteousness. Whether you ate or didn't eat, whether you go to movies or you don't go to movies, whether you, you put in the blank. Well, I can't believe so-and-so did that. Or I can't believe they allowed their child to do that. I know some of you are wondering, where does discernment come into this? And I was asked that question last week. There are some things that are just being discerning and being wise. You grow up where we allow grace and space for people to grow in their faith instead of putting a damper and confining them and telling them what to do instead of them learning some of the things that they need to learn. When we look at this idea of righteousness, remember we've already talked about it. Where does our righteousness come from? It's not us. Our righteousness comes from who? Jesus. And so this is about the kingdom. The kingdom is a matter of righteousness. We get to experience the righteousness of Jesus. We get to know and in that experiencing of his righteousness, we get to know and better understand how we are to live more like him. And in that experiencing of righteousness, we also see the peace. We get to feel and experience the peace of God. The kingdom of God is about living life in such a way that we have peace. There are so many believers 
who are walking around every day who are not experiencing the kingdom. The kingdom is experiencing God's peace, his presence, his sufficiency, that all that I need is Jesus. The peace of God that surpasses all understanding. That's what the kingdom is about. It's about living in such a way that I experience Jesus and his forgiveness and his life-giving blood that was shed for me. That I experience the father looking at me as his child. Because I am declared right. I'm sanctified. Not because of the works that I do. But because of the works Jesus did on my behalf. Because of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. I experienced his righteousness. And I seek to live out this new life. Why? Because I've died to myself. And I no longer live. But I live for Christ. And in living that life, I experience peace. And what's the third? Joy. Joy. When we're walking with our eyes on Jesus, we're not focused on who's right and who's wrong and these gray issues. We get to experience not only righteousness and peace, but we get to experience joy. And notice how he describes it. Joy in the Holy Spirit. Who produces that joy in you and me? The spirit of the living God that resides in your life and mine. That's what the kingdom is about. So verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Meaning the way that you live life, if you're seeking to honor God, if you're about the kingdom and living the kingdom way, not only will you please God, but other men are going to say, you know what? There's something about their life. There's something about the way they handled that situation. I may not agree with them, but there's something about it that I approve of, that I can get behind. So then, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Interesting, as we walk through gray issues, how many times are we looking for peace? How many times are we really, our motivation is to build the other person up? Again, Paul showed us earlier in this passage that we shouldn't be laying out those stumbling blocks, those things that trip people up. A lot of times we want to prove to people what we know. We want to show people what the truth is. Hey, this is right or this is wrong. Instead, Paul is saying there are gray issues in life, and as you walk through faith, you need to come to an understanding that sometimes you may disagree, and in your disagreement, in the way that you see this, in the way you are convicted, you are to continue to live in peace and to build that other person up, not to tear them down. Verse 20, do not, for the sake of food, Destroy the work of God. Maybe we should put that motto and wear it in front of us, right? Put it all over the church. Put it in every church. Put it on Facebook and Instagram. We can snap it. Can be real. Which that hasn't gone off, has it? No. Just teasing. Notice this verse. If you don't get anything else, look at this. Do not for the sake of, what is it? Food here. What is it for you? Do not for the sake of destroy the work of God. Why? Because it's about the kingdom. It's about God working in my life, in your life, in the life of those around the globe. Everything is indeed clean. I love it because Paul just jabs it in there one more time. 
It, again, it isn't about whether it's right or whether it's wrong. It's what does God say? Paul's saying, listen, I firmly believe it's okay. I, everything is indeed clean. If you want to know my thoughts, here it is. But it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is wrong for you to take your own personal convictions and force them on someone else. I shared last week, that's my definition of legalism. Legalism takes what I believe is a personal conviction and it forces someone else that they must conform and live that out too. Paul says, don't do it. And so he gives us in verse 21, it is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do, what's that word there? Say it again. One more time. Does that leave anything out? It's not about eating or did you catch that drinking wine? That can be a hot button. I didn't say it. Paul said it right here, okay? It's not about that. It is not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You may have every right, as Paul has already said multiple times, he had the right to eat meat. He is saying it is not right and it is not okay for you to eat meat and cause your brother to stumble. It is not right for you to do whatever that is that you know, you know in your heart and in your mind because you've had those discussions to lay that block in front of your brother and to cause them to stumble. The faith that you have Keep between yourself and God. Wow, if you were going to build a cult, this is one way to do it. Take the beginning part of this verse and just run with it. You can make this say a lot of things. I think this was early America in the 50s, 60s. Hey, whatever you believe, you keep that to yourself, okay? Don't talk about religion, all right? You can talk about the weather, talk about sports. Don't talk about religion. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not saying that you can't talk about your faith. What he's talking about is you have the faith to believe that you can eat meat. So why are you going to force that on somebody else? You keep that between you and God. I love listening to some of Chuck Swindoll's sermons on this passage. I listened to a few of them and one of the things, he is a pastor of a very large congregation, and, and he says it this way. He's like, there are some things that I believe and I'm convicted of that you will never know what they are, nor should you. Why? Because he doesn't want to cause a stumbling block before his brothers and sisters. So why flaunt it out there? You believe you have this freedom to do this. What good does it do? Now, blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Meaning, it's best that you're not flaunting this out and causing somebody to look at you and pass judgment. It's good that what? You believe what you believe, you're living in such a way, and that you're caring for someone else. That you love them. Paul finishes this little section of chapter 14, which, by the way, in the early text, there is not a break here. When we see verse 23, he, he says very clearly, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. I remember in high school, I had... Uh, I played in the band. And one of the things that we always did after school 
or after the football game is we would, there was uh, different groups who would go to different places and we'd go get something to eat. And I remember this uh, one home game, we were going to go and we were going to go to Pepe and Luigi's. You know, this is uh, Barberton, a pizza place. And it wasn't so much the place as it was how I was going to get there. And I really wanted to go because I wanted to be accepted and I wanted to be part of the in-group. And so in my mind, I thought, okay, I really want to go. I don't have another ride except to ride with this group here. In my mind, I knew that if I got in that car, it was wrong. I just knew it. In my heart, I was fully convinced for somebody else, it was fine for them. But for me, I knew, I knew the Spirit of God was so real to me. I still feel it to this day. I knew if I got in that car, I would not be doing what God wanted me to do. And so you know what I did? I got in the car. I got in that car, and as I sat in the middle of the back seat, with two others of my friends, acquaintances that were in the band. One lit up a cigarette, and the other one pulled out some stuff. And I sat there, and I'm like, oh my goodness, what did I do? Of course, the next morning I had a cross country race, and so I'm like, okay, don't breathe, Aaron, don't breathe, don't breathe. But I knew in my heart, I was fully convinced that if I got in that car, I would be dishonoring the Lord. I share that as an illustration because it may be that thing. It may be the act. It may be something in your life as you're walking along that the Spirit of God, the Spirit that resides in you, very clearly tells you, I do not want you to do this. I'm telling you, I could not get out of that car quick enough. And I'm thankful my mom was willing to come and pick me up that night. I knew and I still disobeyed God. Thankfully, he was gracious and merciful. It wasn't like we got in a big accident or I lost my life or lost my lung or anything. God is gracious to us, is he not? He shows us mercy. But man, Paul is laying before us, don't doubt as the Spirit of God leads you and convinces you in your faith walk, don't doubt what he is telling you. Because if you do, you don't have faith, you're sinning. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Again, I said this last week, I don't think any of us want to be the weak person. We want to be strong. But you may be the weaker brother and that's okay. If you are the stronger brother, we have a responsibility. Paul says we have an obligation. What is that obligation? To bear with them. And so let's, verse 2, let's each of us place his neighbor for his good. To please them, to build them up. Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproach you fell on me. It's a, it's a quote from Psalm 69, verse 9. And actually, if you read throughout the whole psalm, that psalm, Psalm chapter 69, it is all about the reproach that Christ bore for us. And here we have this responsibility. And I think this speaks into when Paul then follows on the heels of this as he's quoting Psalm 96 and saying, um, or six, 69, as he's quoting this, he is going to then expound on that and say this about the scriptures. He says in verse 4, whatever is written in former days was written for our instruction. Do you see what I just quoted about Christ? That was written for you and for me to instruct us. 
that through endurance and through encouragement of the scriptures, we might have what? Hope. Hope of what? Hoping of pleasing God. Hope of loving one another. How do we get that? From reading and understanding what is written in the scriptures. And in the he then says this, verse 5, May the God of endurance and encouragement, which I love because he just used those same two words to talk about the scriptures. <laughs> the word of God is actually who God is. He speaks it. Thus, it is who he is. It shows his very nature. And so this God who has given us the life-giving Word of his for encouragement and endurance. May this God, who is an encouraging God, who helps us to continue to endure, may he grant you to what? Live in harmony with one another. In one accord. That's not a Honda sales pitch. Think about discord, opposition, to be in one accord with Christ, Jesus. Christ is the head. Christ is the one who we are knitted and held together, that we together may be one voice. I love this because there's a play on words here. Harmony and one voice. Now, in order to have harmony, you have to have what? Two, three, four verses or voices. But what does Paul say? That you may have one voice to glorify God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We each individually in harmony come together with different views and different, different perspectives. But we together lift up one voice to ultimately glorify our God. I'm way over time again. Here's three things. One, humility is a valuable characteristic. I put it in my notes, commodity. All right? It's something that you and I need. You need humility? Say amen. Amen. Those of you who didn't say amen, you need it. <laughs> Humility, while it isn't spoken of here, speaks very highly of what we see in Philippians chapter 2. Our God sent his son, Jesus, left heaven, and he became one of us. Humility is a valuable commodity. And if you think you've got it all together and you've got it figured out because you're the stronger brother, shame on us. What's our God look like? Ultimately, our humility leads to the building up of the body. We want to build one another up. Number two, are you reminded that faith is how we please God? Faith is how we please God. We see it not only in the book of Hebrews, but we in other scriptures. The writer of Hebrews says it is impossible to please God without faith. Here, we're reminded again of how we live life in these great issues. How do we, how do we please the God that we say that we love? It's by faith. Faith that says, you know what? I might disagree with that person, but I'm going to leave enough room that allows love, peace, joy, that we can be something that I, it's hard for me to do, but I'm going to trust you, God, that we in harmony can lift up one voice. That's faith. Number three, we are created to live in united community. You have been created to live in united community. The question begs, 
Do you believe that and do you want that? We can say, I believe that. We can say, I want that. But what are you doing to pursue this? Because this is the way God works. This is how God desires for us as his children to live. As the body of Christ. Now, we have a sinful nature. But I believe that we were created to be in community with one another and to be united. How will you live that out? How will that be seen and displayed through your lips, through your hands, through your thoughts? There are some people who really like gray. I'd rather have a little color. But gray is necessary because it helps us to see all the other colors. They stand out even more. I look out there and I see the sun reflecting off of somebody's vehicle. We love the sunshine, don't we? And sometimes those gray clouds, they get old. Gray is difficult. And it takes endurance and encouragement. My prayer is that we will be faithful. And ultimately, as we live life, see how we are to live. Humility, by faith, together, unified in community. I need a lot of help to do that, don't you? You're probably maybe better than me in some of those ways. But let's ask God's help before we leave. Lord, we come to you thanking you for the life that you give us through Christ. Thank you that you've welcomed us into your presence. And you've called us to welcome others. Our other brothers and sisters who you've already welcomed into your family, Lord, we're to welcome them as we live in community. And Lord, there are times, there's situations, there's issues that arise as we live in community that at times cause division. It causes us to reevaluate. And some of that is very healthy for us, Lord, to evaluate and to see how your spirit guides and leads us and what we believe by faith is what you want for us. Individually. Forgive us, Lord, when we push our individual preferences on anyone else. Help us, Lord, to accept one another, to come and welcome, as Paul says, our brother, our sister. Who may have a different conviction about a gray issue, a non-essential issue. Help us to love one another. Help us to be committed to build each other up. Knowing that your kingdom is far more important. Your work is far more important than food or drink or any other pleasure that I may want or feel I have the right to enjoy. Help us to live in such a way as Jesus told his disciples, the people will know that we love you 
by the way that we love each other. Help us to love each other as you love us. So we ask for your grace and your strength and your peace as we go from here. And as we prayed earlier, Lord, it is my prayer that we would be doers of your word. May your spirit guide us and may we walk obediently with him. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ. Amen.